Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. It's really good to be here with you guys. If y'all are new or you're visiting, welcome. Um, This is my last time to be here as a pastor. Uh, If this is your first time, we are still glad that you're here. Um, You've come to the right place. If you're looking for a church home, what a wonderful church home this is. Uh, A place to come to know who Jesus is, to grow in your faith uh, of Jesus. And so... um, It's a delight. It's a delight to be here. It's a delight to preach to you all this last uh, Sunday as one of your pastors. And before I say more, I want to say what a joy and an honor it has been to be a pastor here. Um, How you all have honored me by bringing me into some of the most vulnerable moments of your life um, to trust me with that and allow me to help in some small way to show you Jesus. Um, You all have loved me and my family well. You all have seen my girls grow. You've seen me um, shrink. Um, uh, You've... um You've helped me to see and to follow Jesus better, and you've helped me to grow um, graciously as a pastor, and so I'm forever indebted to you all, and I love you all. Um, Today is still the Christmas season. Um, In the church calendar, we celebrate 12 full days of Christmas, and so we're gonna continue celebrating the mystery of Jesus becoming flesh, of God taking on flesh in the incarnation. Um, J.I. Packer said this of the incarnation of Christ. He said, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it is. And that's what we're gonna do. I want us to think about this staggering, beautiful reality. And I want us to do so as, as a charge of sorts, of uh, a charge to you all, right? to consider what does it mean, not just that Jesus took on flesh, but that as he has now ascended, he calls us, the body of Christ, that we incarnate Jesus to the world. We believe, as Paul tells us in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, that we are the body of Christ, that, that we who are united to him become his body. But not only that, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says this, that we become the aroma of Christ. So with that in mind, I have a couple questions for us that I mean to be kind of provocative, which is what have Christians made Jesus look like if we're his body? And what have Christians made Jesus smell like if we are his aroma? When I was in high school, I played lacrosse, and um, I, I would imagine that if you have high school boys or you were one, um, that, you, uh, that you know that they never wash their pads, right? And so while I, every game would have a new and clean jersey underneath, it smelled like a gross locker room, right? Um, that, that, that my clean jersey could not cover up the nasty smell that was underneath. It's very easy for Christians or for churchgoers in America to try to kind of put on the right types of behaviors at times, to to put on the jersey of being nice, of being generous, of being hospitable, to cover over the stinky, smelly reality of our own hearts. 
I would submit that the visible church in America has often made Jesus smell poorly. Right? We, we want the quick fixes of a clean jersey or maybe some Axe body spray to cover over the sins of our hearts. Right? We've preferred making kind of small changes over the long-term, challenging, life-altering reality of following Jesus. But it's that long-term aroma of Christ that is so sweet. It's, it's like passing by a good barbecue joint. You can't help but as you smell it, think, I want to go in there and taste and see how good it actually is. So how might we, as Christ the King, and I pray that this would be true of Advent as well here in the future, how would we become this pleasing aroma of Christ? How might we be an aroma of life to our world? And that's what our passage is going to be about this morning. So before we read it, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll turn uh, to Colossians chapter 3. But would you pray with me first? Our God and Father, we do thank you. Well, we thank you that you speak to us. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us in our state of sin and, and stinkiness. Father, but that you change us. And so we pray, Lord, that as we consider your word together this morning, that you would change our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to follow you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's turn to Colossians chapter three, verses 12 uh, through 17. You can follow along in, uh, on the screen or, uh, or, or open up the black Bibles uh, as well that are in front of you. This is what Paul says to the church in Colossae. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul here is describing the characteristics of the aroma of Christ. Right? The characteristics that we're to have as well. Right? And my prayer for, for you all, my prayer for Christ the King, is that you'll be a church that puts on Christ. And I want us to consider three things together this morning. Why should we put on Christ? We'd first, we do so because we are loved by him. Second, we do so because we are clothed by him. And third, we do so because he is empowering us, he is equipping us. And not only that, he has equipped us already as well. So let's consider the first point that you are loved. Right, Paul tells and Paul calls the church in Colossae um, in verse 12, right at the very beginning, he says, you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
And it can seem sort of like throwaway language and nouns that are kind of describing us, like almost like Mad Lib style descriptors or fill in the blank positive words um, saying something nice about Christians. But Paul is actually picking up on Old Testament language here. He's saying that Christians, those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, are God's chosen ones. So Christians are the people of God in the same way that Israel, the Jewish people of the Old Testament, were the people of God. Right? And this is important because right, if it's just like Mad Lib style descriptors that are going on here, then we can begin to buy into the lies that we tell ourselves. Well, yeah, I'm God's chosen one because like, I'm intrinsically lovable. Or yeah, I'm holy and I'm set apart because like, I'm intrinsically holy. I'm doing some pretty good stuff. But the Jewish people, they fell into that same type of trap and that same type of thinking and God directly speaks to them here in Deuteronomy chapter seven. It says this, it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. God didn't love Israel because they were lovable. God didn't love Israel because they were big or they were great in any sort of special way. No, God loves them because he loves them. Israel is holy and set apart because God has chosen to love them and to set them apart. Right? And so the same is true for us. And this may sound harsh, but it's actually good news. God doesn't love you because you're special. You're not that special. Right? In fact, right, even though some of you have gotten into some fantastic schools and some of you are titans of industry or great parents or, or fantastic friends and have loved me so well, God doesn't choose to love you because of any of that. He chose to love you because... Your faith is in Jesus Christ. You're holy and set apart because of Jesus Christ. And that's actually good news because when you fail to do the good things that you all have been doing, you're not cut off from his love. His love remains because it's entirely based upon him. So in all of your striving, and you're striving maybe even to earn God's love amidst all the other striving that many of us do, right? know and remember this, that you cannot earn his love. It had nothing to do with you before, and it has nothing to do with you now. It has everything to do with him and how loving he is. One of my favorite television shows of all time, uh, we still watch it quite a bit in our household, is, is a television show called Scrubs. For some reason, it, it never got as popular as many of the other shows, but I love it. It's a comedy based in a hospital, um, and one of the main characters in it is, is this kind of grumpy but hilarious doctor who's always striving to be the best. His name is, is Dr. Cox, and in one episode, Dr. Cox invites uh, another family that he's friends with to come over for a play date with his infant son, um, and he wants to be the best at this play date. So he gets his son in, and he does like a football-style pep talk with his one-year-old son. Um, he's, he's telling him how he's going to build Legos far better than this other kid, and at the very end, in a football way, he goes, all right, Jack, earn daddy's love on three. 
one, two, three, earn daddy's love, right? That's how he ends it. And I laugh at that every time because intrinsically or explicitly, that is how we live our lives, trying to earn it over and over again. And so we can hardly imagine a loving and gracious father that doesn't see us and interact with us in the same way. A God who doesn't put that kind of pressure on us. But Christ the King family, he loves you. He loves you in Christ because he is that loving. And not only that, he has clothed us in his love. So let's look at that next. After Paul tells us that we're loved, he tells us that we're to put on a type of clothing. He tells us to put on the clothing of compassion and humility and kindness and meekness and patience. And we can think either one of two, th- two ways when we come across a list like this. Either we begin to think, well, man, that just sounds impossible, right? I, maybe I have some elements of kindness in my heart, but based on everything that's going around, I have zero patience. And not only that, the, the, there's very little, uh, very little compassion that I have in my heart. So we either can think that, or we come to this type of list and we think, yeah, I'm crushing it. I'm doing fantastic, right? It seems like Paul is sort of reading out a report card that goes, well, Taylor's compassion is outstanding. So there's an O for outstanding. And not only that, there's Taylor's uh, kindness, another O for outstanding. And I'm, I'm just crushing the list over and over again. But these types of clothes are only as easy to put on as our environment is. The type of compassion that I clothe myself with is tissue thin, right? So if, if everything around me is all nice and beautiful, it looks nice and beautiful. However, the minute that my environment turns harsh, I'm shown for who I really am, right? The more difficult my environment, the more challenging it is to trick myself into believing that I'm compassionate, that I'm kind, and that I'm patient, It's a lot easier to be loving and compassionate around people who are easy to love. It's a lot easier to be humble around people who are humble and who are nice to you. But Paul tells us to put on these clothes regardless of our circumstances. Even when we're around difficult people who are are going through difficult times, we are to put on these clothes. How is that possible? And as contradictory as this may sound, we don't put on patience by trying to be more patient. We put on patience by putting on Christ. We put on meekness by putting on Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, kind of toward the the end of the Gospel, toward the end of Jesus' life and ministry as he enters Jerusalem for the final time for the Passion Week, um, he begins a long discourse of parables and teachings. And he tells the parable uh, of a king who's throwing a wedding feast for his son. And so he sends out invitations to anybody or or to to all the special people basically first to come to this wedding feast and no one wants to come. Well, so he's like, well, all right, let's go and we'll send it out to anybody who's out there, anybody on the street. Just go send invitations and invite them to come. And they do and they respond and they come. But 
there's uh, the parties happening and a king sees that there's a, a man who, who came dressed in street clothes, not dressed in the, in the garments of a wedding feast. Right? And, and so he tells the servants to bind this man up and to cast him into the outer darkness, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I remember the first time I heard that parable, I was stunned. Right? Why would the, tr- the king treat the guests so horrifically? He just invited a bunch of folks in off the street. So why is he treating this guy so poorly for having street clothes? It wasn't until much later that I learned that it was customary for a king at those times when he invited someone to a wedding feast to not just invite them, but he would actually provide the wedding garments for the guests. And so to show up without, uh, without, the, uh, without the, ga- the garments that were provided for you is a slap in the face of the king. So of course the, the man was kicked out. Right? The king was unbelievably gracious. The king was throwing this feast. The king invited subjects from all over the kingdom and he even gave them the garments to wear. All they had to do was show up and put on the clothes. Right? We don't have to try and mend or sew the garments of patience by ourselves. Right? We don't have to find meekness out of our closet and put it on. Right? The celebration is the wedding party that will happen when the new heavens and the new earth come. The party is what will happen when Jesus comes again to finish the work that he started to take my smelly heart and make it right and good. And the garments that we are to wear are Christ himself. Our life and our garments, are, uh, the, the, the garments that I choose are tissue thin, but Jesus covers us when we place our faith in him. Jesus covers us when we wear him because oh, his compassion isn't tissue thin, it's bone deep. Right? He's the one who's the Lord of all, right? The, the righteous human who lived out compassion and kindness and humility even toward those who put him to death. And when we place our faith in him, his life, his love covers us. His grace covers us. His aroma covers us. We wear his clothing and as we do so, he makes us more patient. He makes us more kind. He's equipping us to do the very work that he's calling us to do. And that's our third point here. Paul ends his exhortation by telling the church in in, in Colossae to to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But he says that they're to do this by by teaching and admonishing one another and by singing psalms and by praying thankfulness toward God. Believe it or not, these things that Paul is telling us to do are actually an equipping. So, So that in all circumstances, in word and in deed, we can do everything in the name of Jesus as the passage as the passage ends. Right, these very normal and ordinary means and things, that they are actually what is equipping us to do the extraordinary task of loving other people and putting Christ on. Paul tells us that we are equipped in Christian community with one another. Right? Such deep community that we, that we begin to teach and admonish one another. That by being around one another, we're 
singing and, and praying together, that, that under these normal things, under the teaching of God's word together, that, that we become more like Christ. These normal things equip us to be able to do everything in word and in deed in the name of Jesus. These things allow for us to put on Christ in all circumstances. And so because of these things, we can become the hands, the feet, the mouthpiece of Christ. That we become a part of his body and people begin to smell the aroma of Christ. Right? He's equipped us for the very things that he's calling us to do. That means that as you commit to being a part of a community of faith, this community of faith, with one another that he is actually molding you more and more into Jesus. So let's apply it this way. God wants you to join a small group. God wants you to know others and to be known because the more you participate in the life of Christ the King, the more that you are actually being formed into Jesus Christ. That also means that the more you participate in these very normal means of grace, the more that you'll be able to fulfill the mission of Christ the King to reach Houston for Christ and to renew lives by grace. And you'll do so because in word and indeed the aroma of Christ will spread. But remember this process is long and it is slow, right? There's no quick solutions to putting on the likeness of Christ. It doesn't doesn't come by like slapping a bumper sticker on your car. It doesn't come by, by committing to being nice or kind, you know, bless your heart, right? It it comes with a long participation and depending upon his grace in relationship with one another. One of my favorite things that I've done at Christ the King is teach the Discover Christ the King class. Um, And if you sat in the class with me, you heard me say over and over again that one of the things I want for the members of this church to do is to stay here long enough that someone offends you or you offend someone else and you have to find forgiveness with one another. Because it's in that that Jesus Christ molds us more and more into his likeness. Asking for forgiveness, having to forgive someone else, we become more and more like Christ. I've said it this way, the church is the petri dish by which God grows us more and more into Jesus. It can be smelly at times, but we become more like Christ. So commit to being a part of it and know that God's at work through that hardship. It's transformative. Yes, it's slow, but you become more like Jesus. Like many of us, I would imagine um, that you all have watched quite a few Christmas movies recently. Um, I think we, we've done our fair share over the last few weeks. And um, I think one of my favorite scenes, at least comedy scenes in any uh, a Christmas movie comes from the movie Elf. If you all don't know it, uh, the movie Elf is is a movie with Will Ferrell where he's Buddy the Elf, uh, who is a human raised by elves in the North Pole. And one Christmas, he finds out that, yes, he's in fact human, and he goes to New York to meet his biological parents. And while he's in New York, he gets a job as a Christmas elf at Gimbel's, the department store. And he finds out one particular day 
that Santa is coming to Gimbel's, right? And he gets all excited because um, Santa is coming. But so, so he gets ready and, and when Santa's there, he goes on upstairs and he sees Santa face to face. He recognizes that something is wrong. He walks up to the guy, he goes, who are you? Well, I'm Santa Claus, of course. No, you're not. You're a liar. You sit on a throne of lies, he says, right? And then he leans in and he does the sniff test, right? He sniffs Santa and he knows it's not him because kids, what does he smell like? Beef and cheese, that's right. He is not Santa because he smells like beef and cheese, right? The aroma of Santa doesn't just happen by putting on a quick costume, right? It's easy to pick out the fakes. Right, slapping on a Santa costume doesn't cover over the aroma of beef and cheese. So I want to juxtapose Elf with a different Christmas movie that I actually hadn't seen until recently, which is the movie The Santa Claus. This is an older movie with Tim Allen. And the premise of the movie is this, that Tim Allen accidentally becomes Santa when the real Santa slips off his roof and falls and, and uh, I guess he dies, I don't actually know. Um, but uh, he becomes and assumes the role of Santa because he puts the clothes on. And what takes place in the movie is a slow and long process of Tim Allen transforming into Santa Claus. Right? He begins to see toys in a new way. He sees the toys as not just a means by which he can make money, because he was a toy manufacturer before, but a means by which it can make children happy, like Santa would do. His, his diet begins to change. Right? At a work lunch meeting, he orders all the desserts on the menu with a glass of milk on the side. Right? He, his shaving changes. Every single morning he shaves his face, but by the afternoon he has a big, white, bushy beard. And over the course of one week, he's gained 50 pounds. Right? Over, over this entire year, there's this long process of Tim Allen transforming into Santa Claus. Y'all, that's, that's a picture of what it means for us to be Christians, for us to put on Christ. It's not slapping on a Santa Claus that doesn't cover over our own stink of beef and cheese, but it is by putting on Christ day in and day out that we become more like him. We do this in a community of faith. We become more like him. And over time, he transforms us into his likeness. We can do this because we're loved. No matter how well we do it, no matter how poorly we do it, you're loved. You can do this because he has clothed you in his righteousness and in his love. And you can do this because he is and has equipped us for every good work. Let's pray now. Our God and Father, we do thank you. Well, we thank you for the love of Jesus Christ and that he's the one at work taking hearts like mine a heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh that I might become more and more like him. And so I pray for this church. I pray for Christ the King. I pray and give you thanks for John and for his leadership here. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless this church, that the aroma of Christ would be sweet to those around, that they might wanna come here and to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Amen.